Hey, welcome to E-Crime Bites, episode, uh, season one, episode 14, and we're calling this one A Doctor Sells Out, unless we come up with a better joke by the end, but right now it's called A Doctor Sells Out. Well, Dr. Shipjack is... was already taken, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, this guy isn't real. I wouldn't I wouldn't put him in the shitbag category, but he's, he, he'll have his own category, I'm sure, by the end of this episode. He's shitbag adjacent, but yes. So let me show you a picture of who we're talking about here. So this is the doctor, Dr. Alario. Um, he is basically the medical mastermind behind this whole electronic crime that we're going to bring he, you today. Or was he more of an insider? Um, because he didn't pocket as much money as the other people on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of a weird aspect of it. And I did find this like Yelp for doctors. It's called find a top doc and he's on there and he's got, pretty decent ratings i mean he's got like four out of five and well sure who knows who rated him that they want in perpetuity yeah so what's not to like right? <laughs> you may you may see why he gets good ratings by the end of this episode yeah so with that let me switch back to our feed and let's go ahead and jump in with our case details i'll go ahead and take the technology so Ticket. And this one, we're, we're going kind of old school on this one. So the technology, I picked three things. One is medical records, which could be written, could be on a computer. It just kind of depends on the doctor's office. There are faxes involved. And if we're our younger crowd, probably like, what the hell is that? But it's basically sending paper documents over a telephone and emails. So this is pretty much how the medical world works is those three medic, those three technological categories and that's what we're going to talk about in this case okay so let's talk about the crime we're listing healthcare fraud as our you know catch-all here but i actually am surprised that there wasn't more detail into the hipaa violations so for those of you who are unaware hipaa is an acronym it's h-i-p-a-a it's health insurance portability and accountability act it's from the mid 90s and it really talks it's a federal law uh, that requires the creation of like a specific set of standards uh, to protect sensitive patient healthcare confidentiality. So that clearly was violated uh, over and over again here. So I'm surprised that that wasn't listed unless I guess they just cop to a lesser plea. So we'll come back to that. Criminals. So we have a bunch of different criminals here. We have a handful of doctors. We showed you one of them. We have a handful of sales reps in the pharmaceutical industry. So, just like any, if you're not familiar with this, just like any other industry, there are salespeople out there trying to sell their wares, which is the medicine. These people, that's one group of criminals in this case. And then the third group is fake patients. Um, it looks like they started out possibly using normal patients, but then they definitely switched to fake patients by the end of this, uh, this whole scam that we're going to talk about. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, who were the victims here, Keith? So arguably the obvious one are the health the healthcare insurance companies. Um, I'm not sure how bad people feel for health insurance companies, but I would also argue the patients because um, some of the details you'll see in the case were that the patients were not clearly not receiving unbiased medical care. Uh, there was clearly ulterior motives, and there was definitely I think a degradation in the quality of the drugs they were receiving. Um, based upon the scam here. We'll get into that a little bit. So I'm going to throw the patients in as well as the victim for the victims, as well as the insurance company. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. So why this case? Well, 
a um i think this is the first healthcare one we've done that was one reason why i picked this case second was wait until you see the amount of money that this group got away with and for a while so when i saw this i was like wow really interesting subject matter wow they really got away with a lot and that was the reasons why i picked this case it's quite eye-opening and certainly i think you know tops the list of other cases that we've looked at in our in season one um the other thing i thought about this case is i'm from a generation and my parents are i think their generation more so when you look at a doctor and you kind of you know are making some basic assumptions right you they're a trusted provider of arguably the most valuable thing that could be offered right which is healthcare. it's life and, you know, so you assume that your doctor is on the up and up and isn't selling you out for money so they can pocket extra money based upon the drugs that they're prescribing to you. Um, so I, I really feel like that if we found out that one of my doctors was doing this or one of the doctors from my family, I'd be really, really pissed um, and it would really throw me off. You know, you're assuming that especially with a doctor, you're dealing with people that have a high moral integrity and to find out that that's not the case is is really really disappointing so uh, i thought that also was a good reason to talk about this case yep so we look forward to catching you on the other side with the rest of this subject see you then Hey, welcome back to A Doctor Sells Out, episode 14. Now, I said we haven't done a doctor before, and I actually lied because we did do a doctor before, and we've got an update of that doctor. It's Dr. Shitbag Ilg. So when I was doing just my random research that I do for e-crime bites, nibbles, and these episodes that you're watching... I ran into an update for Dr. Ilg and I was like, this is just so juicy. I got to talk about this one. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. 95% plus of what Seth and I give you, we try to pull straight for court documents and so forth. But the Daily Beast had just this artful article that kind of put some color around some of the things that we explained to you from the court documents that start to make things make a little more sense. And I wanted to just give you some of these points out of this, this article that they printed. So they say that, you know, there was a complex love triangle involving his estranged wife and his mistress. He was trying to integrate into the relationship, which is what we talked about. Mistress became a key witness for the prosecution, but here's something we didn't know. She told agents that Ilg locked her in a bunker outside his house and forced her to sign a sex slave contract in blood as part of his quote-unquote dominant submissive submissive relationship in which he required her to participate. So, oh my God. Yeah, that puts some color around what... I I, want to make this clear. Kudos to Dr. Keith Jones here for calling that dom sub relationship out where it was not explicitly stated in the court documents and i think you have to be dom sub adjacent is that term again to be familiar with i guess some of the keywords that we saw that kind of triggered that note and then um you know we didn't really have any dom any dominant we didn't have any definitive facts to back up that assertion it was a uh, conjecture but now 
Apparently, it's been also equally conjectured by the Daily Beast, which is not known for its scrutiny in their reporting. But uh, it's, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, um, there probably is some truth to it if there's any truth to the sex slave in contract and blood. And I think it gives some context, too, that even if this mistress and wife were milling participants to some degree, I think it just that whole bunker scenario, even if half of that's true, says he was probably far more aggressive than you would pick up in the documentation that we read. I don't know. He wanted to break his colleagues' hands and inject his ex-wife with drugs and I don't know. He seems like he was fully shitbag. <laughs> I'm pretty Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm saying he's he's very aggressive in all his relationships that I would expect it with the mistress and the ex wife too. So that that aggressiveness I don't think some of it came out in the court paperwork, but I don't think came out with the mistress and the wife's relationship. You know, it came out with the the coworker. And I think this puts a little more color around there where, you know, he he's a shitbag in his all his relationships is what it sounds like. Full shitbag. And let's continue with more relationships. This is the part where I went, oh my God, now I got to talk about this. So apparently, Ilk had a jailhouse romance with the wife of a former cellmate. He became engaged to the woman through letters and phone calls while incarcerated in Spokane County Jail. So then, you know, there was like hearings and so forth. And um, he, there's letters because I guess you write letter, love letters back and forth from the jailhouse. And in the letters, I guess he's now a former fiance, so they're not engaged anymore, but he was basically disparaging his ex-wife and encouraging his fiance, the, the wife of the cellmate, to reach out to his former mistress, the woman that was locked in the bunker, who'd already taken out orders of protection against him. So you can see like, Going to jail didn't appear to stop him. No, no. And actually, that was noted by um, the judge, actually. Yeah, and it goes on. Um, this is just an amazing, amazing article where they talk about he had a scheme where he wanted to use a private social media account to post false information, to look, make it look like a leak, like it was his ex-wife that was behind these messages to hire this hitman that he was looking for online. And why? Because, well, she wasn't allowing visitation with their eight-year-old son. And he just goes on about saying, oh, she's no innocent princess. It would be eye-opening if somehow this information was posted online where she and everyone else could see it. So, again, it's like he's behind bars and he's still trying to take it out on his ex-wife, allegedly. Right. But the, the most provocative part of this, I thought, was him essentially trying to profit or can, you know, I guess coming up with a scheme to profit off of his own story. Um, so I'll read this one. In other letters, Dr. Ilg attempted to ensnare his fiance in a plan to sell the rights to his life story using a twist on the 50 Shades franchise as the pitch. He instructed her to reach out to publishing companies and fantasize about building an empire together, suggesting they could make a million dollars a year after his release. Quote, this could be giant. And prosecutors even played a recording of a phone call between the good doctor in November while incarcerated in which he told someone that his story had, quote, 
a lot of potential for a book slash movie deal and a lot of potential for financial gain. So even in prison after he was incarcerated and found guilty and he still had delusions of grandeur, um, really living up to the Dr. Shitbag moniker, I would say. And he hasn't been in prison that long, if I recall. It was earlier in 2023. So this, he's been busy. Yeah, he's he got a like lot done. A lamenting period of five years where he cooled off. This was like right back in it. <laughs> oh, let's see. I'm not going to read all this. We there's so much good information in here. There's yeah, well, yeah. correlation that the wife said. The wife basically said the same thing that the mistress said, where he would force her to submit to him and and quote unquote call him sir and quote unquote sign a ridiculous set of rules to follow. Um, she said she would wake up at night and find herself tied down with ropes or chains. Um, he's was physically violent, grabbed her by the throat, pinned her to the bed while she was holding her son. Um, he would then, like, if she protested in any way, then threatened to withdraw, withdraw financial support, which is usually the next step when somebody can't control somebody. They try to take away their financial means if they're married to them. So luckily at some point, the ex-wife found a full-time job and she started plotting her escape and yet he still would not leave her alone. He would park outside her work, place trackers on her car and all sorts of stuff. So she said to this day, she locks her office door between clients just because she's afraid of him. And if not him, somebody he might send to come either, you know, watch her or Which, hurt her. There is a background for that, right? There's actually a reason for that fear. It's unfair. It's not yeah, and she was quoted as saying, all I want to do is get out of a toxic marriage and be left alone. If he hadn't gotten caught, I don't know what he would have done to get his way. And I, I got to agree with her on that because he apparently is still in prison doing stuff. So at some point, you know, right now, like I said, he's in prison, there's hearings, and there's still legal stuff that goes on once you're in prison because you're just like, most criminals are like, hey, I don't belong here. I want to appeal this. So there was one point where there's a hearing and he read a lengthy statement and then he apologized profusely to his victims and then he claimed to say morning devotionals in their honor. And I was like, okay, if you take that at face value, that sounds nice. And then he turns and he says, he also claimed to have been withdrawal from psychiatric medication when he wrote a letter to his mistress, begging her to marry him so she would not test, so she would not testify against him. And then he goes off and the judge has to interrupt him because he starts talking about all the other inmates going through withdrawal and jail and so forth. And the judge is basically like, ah, we don't need to get into that. So it's kind of like the dude is not real focused on his case. And even though when he almost, like he apologized, it's like he went into this whole drug thing, which is, you know, to me, it kind of felt like an excuse. That That's just my opinion. Uh, let's see. Now. Well, the last point I'm going to make on this case was the, I guess his defense, you know, he made this argument through his attorney that basically he's being quote unquote persecuted for his alternative sexual preferences. And then, you know, the judge and everybody basically said, Hey, the defendant's not being persecuted in this case. He's, he's being just being per for, for what? Yeah. He's being prosecuted for the things he, he did. So this isn't about his sexual likings this is all about what he did to try to get there yeah 
it's worth a read if everyone has uh we'll put the link up on our website for the daily beast article it's certainly worth the read it does a good job of well it doesn't do a good of a job as we did in terms of getting into the detail of the crazy shit involved in this case but it does give a good i guess uh follow-up so definitely worth a, a few minutes of your time with that keith let's talk about our main case today yeah so hey we're on the medical topic here so let's just stick with doctors and so forth so we were talking about Dr. Ilg, which is a completely different time frame. So wipe that from your mind for a second. This time frame, now we're between August of 2014 and February of 2016. So this was about a just under a two-year crime spree for this group. So the first person in this group, his name, and ha, no relation, but his name is Keith Ritson. Keith Ritson. You would think, why he sounds he sounds like a doctor. Nope, he's not a doctor at all. He's a pharmaceutical sales rep and founder of this company called Life Sciences Medical LLC. Now I'm going to pause here for a minute. We're going to talk about a few different companies because they kind of play this little shell game of how they remit payments and so forth. And we're going to do our best to try to talk about who's behind these companies. But I might get a little might get a little tangly here and there. This is the first company, Keith Ritson. Life Science and Medical, he has his own company. There's going to be a few others. Now, I want to stress something here. Not a medical doctor. He can't prescribe anything. And if you ask my wife, see, I'm a PhD, and I always joke around the house that I'm a doctor with my kids and so forth. And my wife always says, you're not a real doctor. I will agree with her on this point. I am not the same type of doctor as a medical doctor. And Keith Ritson, even farther away from a doctor than this. He is a pharmaceutical sales rep, if you can put that in your mind. So he markets the medications that are sales, right. sold now, to people. Let's be clear. That people. is not an uncommon job. I mean, there's a lot of people you probably know who are you know, um, medical salespeople, right? Uh, drug and medical device sales are a you know, multi-multi-billion dollar business, as you might imagine. And a lot of these drug companies need salespeople to directly correlate with the doctors and there's a i don't there's i'm sure a very vast area of regulations and law to talk about how cozy a medical and uh drug medical device and drug company can get with a doctor but think about it right every time your doctor prescribes medicine or think about all the different you know commercials you see on tv for different medications you know there's a big marketing budget for that stuff and obviously their main um their main clients or main customers is, you know, your choice, either the end patient, you know, the end consumer or the doctor that gets to prescribe it, right? You can't just be like, I would like Truvia or I don't know, A1, what's the one, A1C, uh, Trulicity, right? You can't just go buy that shit. You need a prescription to do it. So that's why the doctor has become such a very critical kind of middle, middle person here, right? I'm going to say middle man because the doctor issue here is a, is a gentleman, Um so the the you know understand the way it works. You can't just go buy a prescription drug. You need a doctor to prescribe it to you. So with that, let's talk about Doctor Frank Alario. And I'll say the reason why I'm stressing this here, the reason why I'm I'm categorizing sales reps and doctors in two different categories is because this crime mixes them up. You're going to see patients walking in and talking to people that are sales reps that they clearly think are probably doctors, and that's and that part of the crime here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell Dr. us about the doctor. 
So Dr. Frank Alario, he's a medical doctor, not a PhD like Dr. Jones here. Uh, and he practices, uh, looks like in New York, New Jersey, and Florida. Um, you, know, you may have heard of some of these towns, but it doesn't matter. Okay, let's move on. Um, Keith, tell us about William Hickman. Okay, so we talked about critical, Keith. He's less critical to the story though, right? Yeah, he's a little less involved than Ritson, if I remember correctly. So William Hickman is another pharmaceutical sales rep who operated another company. This one's called Boardwalk Medical. Uh, just for which comparison, we, which is owned by his wife. The last company we talked about was called Life Sciences Medical. So you can right. see these things are going to get real hairy once we start talking yeah, about we'll, companies. We'll and we're going to do our best to try to keep it straight. So William Hickman generally owns the same company because his wife owns it too. It's called Boardwalk Medical. He was, pro why? Well, because William was prohibited to sell medical products outside of his day job at a pharmaceutical company. So Boardwalk was clearly outside that day job. He was doing something right off the bat that he shouldn't be doing is right. what so we're saying. So let's be clear. Hickman works at some pharmaceutical company we don't know. His wife owns Boardwalk and he was definitely doing work for Boardwalk in violation of some kind of non-compete or conflict of interest rule with his other pharmaceutical, but clearly is under is is knowledgeable about the business since he works in a pharmaceutical environment. So, Keith, tell us about Central Rexall Drugs. Okay, so this company he owns that Hickman owns, Boardwalk, has an agreement with this other company called Central Rexall Drugs. So, Central Rexall is a company that would basically make. I believe they, they fall into the compounding pharmacy realm. So, so but they yes, right? When you go get your yeah. drugs, when you go get a prescription filled, where do you go? You go to a pharmacy, right? And most far, I don't know if CVS can do this. There are older fashioned, you know, non, um, uh, non, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, not a Rex, not, not a Walgreen, not a CVS. So not a, not a, like a mom and pop shop. Right, more of a like mom, a mom and, pop and pop shop. shop. Right, where and I used to have one where I grew up, where they could actually do a little bit more than just fill a prescription. They actually could create a uh, a medication for you, and we'll get into a little bit about what they were doing specifically here. And this is important because otherwise, why wouldn't a patient just go directly to CVS or Walgreens? Yeah, and these compounding pharmacies are a little different. A lot of times, it's because somebody needs a medical a medicine a certain way that the rest of the population doesn't. So you have to go to a specialized place and that's why things, this gets a little hairy. Trust me. So why are we telling you this? Well, basically central Rexall drugs, when they would get a prescription from Hickman's company, which is boardwalk Hickman's wife's company, Hickman's wife's company, they would give them a cut. So let's say you, I'm just gonna make these numbers up. Let's say they came in and they would get, you know, a customer would spend X. They might give the company back half of that X or a third of that X for bringing that business into that central Rexall drugs. And you can see this monetary incentive. This is what makes the criminal fire start in, in this case. This is where the smolder starts going to a fire. So in order for you to get drugs, you usually need a doctor. And that goes back to the doctor that we talked about in this case. The authorizing doctor for these prescriptions would be Dr. Frank Alario. 
So let's talk about Central Rexall. So they are, as Keith mentioned, a compounding pharmacy. So very similar to a CVS or a Walgreens. However, they'll make a prescription for people that, for whatever reason, cannot take the regular prescription as it was designed. So think about it. Some pr- Certain pills are blue, right? Well, it could be that that food coloring that makes that pill blue is a problem for a random person who can't take that. So they have to go to a place like a compounding pharmacist like Central Rexall to, I guess, have a slight change to the original, um, I guess, ingredients or a new compound so that the patient can then take that medicine. Um, Now, the thing is, compounding pharmacies are not approved by the FDA. I guess they couldn't because there's too many variables there. So Central Rexall, they made things like vitamins, scar creams, pain creams, and antifungal gels, and apparently a thing called a libido cream. Um, Dude, what what the fuck is a libido cream, Seth? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I read that and I was like, huh, I don't I want to research that too like, much. <laughs> I assume it's kind of like the cousin of a libido pill, right? Uh, different from Viagra, which is technically, like I say, a blood pressure pill, um, or at least designed to increase blood flow. That was just the awesome side effect. I, I don't know. Let's come back to that issue because it's fantastic because I'm going to start it's, talking up on it. It's, it's one of those things that I was really afraid to research too deeply because, you know, Google's just going to learn my searches and it's just going to go to hell from there. The last point, yeah. though, is Central Rexall is in Louisiana. Not real important, but they're, you know, they're, that's yep. where they are. They're in the United States and Louisiana. Yep. Okay. So, Keith, kick us off. How does this begin? All right. So kind of explaining the scheme of the uh, the fraud here. Right. And it's actually, you know, we're going to try to give visuals with our hands because it gets a little complicated, but it's worth following. Okay, so here's the smolder in the case. So, so far, nobody's done anything really illegal other than that one guy that was working at a place and had his wife. That was that's a conflict of interest. But here's where things start to get illegal. Dr. Lario would prescribe met medications to Keith Ritson. Remember, Keith Ritson was the very first person we talked about that was a salesperson. And the best I could tell from the court paperwork, they didn't have a real doctor-patient relationship. Usually to get medication, you got to go into a doctor's office. They got to sit you on a table. They got to look at you. They got to talk to you about your problem, do a little bit of a differential diagnosis, and then prescribe you something. But in this case, it sounds like that whole process didn't happen. So, at first, I'm like, hey, that's already bad shit, you know? Hey, it sounds bad. Hey, we'll, we'll just stop the case here because we already got a crime, right? Nope. Things take off from here. So this is just a smolder. Now we're going to talk about where the smolder becomes a fire. Right. So they dial it up here, right? So in addition, we found out Dr. Alario would let sales representative Keith Ritson identify patients who had pharmacy plans that would pay for central Rexall prescriptions. So, Keith, walk us through that. That's the kind of, I think, let's just kind of give a little flavor to that because that's important. Yeah. So, to do that, how, you know, you would, you answer that question, you would go, what would I need? Well, the first thing you would need is medical records, right? So, this is the point where I was just like, oh my gosh, because Dr. Alario would allow sales rep Ritson, and this is the reason why I spent so much time trying to categorize these people. He would allow him to have access to areas of the medical office, which normally people were prohibited. You and me, we couldn't just walk around back there. Keith Ritson, sales rep, Dr. Alario, just let him walk around back there. What's back there? 
medical files. So how can he answer the, now he can answer that question that we just said, which is Keith Ritson is able to identify patients who had pharmacy plans who would pay, who would be able to pay for central Rexall prescriptions because he could look at their medical information, which is a HIPAA huge violation of HIPAA. Absolutely. Imagine you're a patient of Dr. Larios and without your knowledge or consent, he's like, Hey, I got this sales schmuck. I'm going to let him go poke around all of our records and let him handpick the uh, patients who have the best opportunity for them to go get prescriptions and fill them through Central Rexall, where I get a cut of it. Well, not I. Imagine being that patient. Right. Imagine Imagine being being that patient. patient. So you're basically being targeted. Right. You're being targeted. Um, And and there's a couple couple more um, points I'm going to make in this one that – it didn't stop with him just wandering around in the back office. No, no, no. no. It was much he, more targeted than that. He he treated him like an employee. The guy, he'd allow Ritson to come and go using employee entrances and stay before and after hours of when normal people could come and go in there. And he even went one step further. Ritson gave Dr. Alario pre-printed central Rexall prescription forms which are often kept readily available in patient exam rooms. So it's like Ritson made it obscenely easy for the doctor to prescribe things to patients well, where they would get a, a financial kickback. Imagine going to the doctor and getting you know a diagnosis and they assign some kind of medication to you. They prescribe some medication and they always say to you, right, where is your pharmacy, right? And imagine they said, we're going to tell you, you're going to go to this pharmacy. It should probably raise a flag if they're telling you. Right now, they might tell you, we know that this pharmacy only carries that. You know, Maybe they carry a generic versus a name brand, which tends to be much less expensive, or vice versa. You don't want the generic. You only want the name brand. But they can't, by law, tell you where to go fill a prescription. That is illegal. All kinds of violations between HIPAA and um, you know, consumer laws are, are definitely uh, allowing you know that, that kind of choice by a patient. Um, and the other thing, of course, this may shock you, Keith, that Doctor Alario and sales rep Ritson never disclosed to the patients that Ritson would make money from that prescription, or that he didn't work there, or even who the hell he was walking around the office. Even more, what? Okay, you stop there, and you're like, holy shit. Right. Even more, Dr. Alario would bring sales rep Ritson into the patient exam rooms during patient visits for the purpose of prescribing compound medication marketed by Ritson. So imagine you're sitting there in your underwear or something, and all of a sudden the doctor comes in and is like, hey, um, this is Keith, and uh, he's got something to tell he's you. Gonna hel- he's going to help me with your medications. Yeah. <laughs> 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 The whole situation is messed up. Yeah. All right. So, Keith, does it get worse? It does. Okay. So, at some point, Dr. Alario decides he's going to bring Keith Ritson in, who's sales rep at this point, still yeah, not a, a doctor. Rep. That's exactly what he is. Introduce him as a nephew and then tell his patients he was also employed at the medical office. Not true. Blow, mind-blowing. Fraud. Yeah. So, so then there were the points way, where... Me, I got I to interrupt you. That's got to <laughs> yeah, violate go for it. several laws, right? I mean, that's oh, got to so violate... Many. 
I mean, there's doctors' ethics laws. There's got to be state and federal laws on the books. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a, a, a malpractice uh, lawyer, but I have to imagine that there are massive, massive liabilities involved for misrepresentation as a medical doctor by design. Just say it. Yes. Yeah. There's so many illegal stuff here, and it. Uh, and if you stop there, you're like, wow, that was a great episode, right? Nope, we got more. We got more. more. No, plenty more. Dr. Olario, at some point, probably was like, ah, fuck it. I don't want to spend all the time talking to these patients. He would just tell his patients to go meet with sales rep Ritson in another part of the medical office without the doctor present to fill out the compound medication prescriptions that would be authorized by Olario. Oh, my God. Oh yeah, Jesus! I feel so, I I feel so for for the patients the patients that didn't know we're we're gonna run into some patients that knew and fuck them, but these patients that didn't know I feel so bad for them. Yeah. So Doctor Lario right. prescribed compound medications that people and did not understand why they were prescribed compound medications. Well, they necessarily like, needed it, right? That's the other yeah. thing. So imagine being prescribed something that somebody was clearly profiting off of that you didn't need. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but that would be like the height of offensive to me that not only are you fucking around with my health, but somebody's profiting off of it directly. I, I, yeah. I it, it's, it's, I'm not easily offended. I'm offended. Well, you know, and they were very motivated and they thought about this. This wasn't an accident. They, I read in the, the paperwork that he, he chose compound medications because of, I'm not in the medical field. If I fuck this up, I apologize audience, but it's because of their quote unquote high adjudication rates and to financially benefit sales rep written, which I read high adjudication rates and did a little research into that. And it yeah, sounds like insurance companies accepted it. That's kind of what I got out of it. I could be wrong. So, but again, and- and the other side of that, we'll get into this, is, you know, quote, to financially benefit Ritson. So you'd have to wonder, well, why would Dr. Olario feel the need or the desire to financially benefit Ritson? What is the nature of their relationship? We'll come back to it because I don't think the court documents give enough detail on there because what we do learn is bizarre. Very weird. Yes. Very weird. And his patients definitely did not come first, Seth. Why don't you tell us about how they would maximize their profits at their patient's expense. So anyone been to the doctor and you get a prescription and, you know, usually it's like a specific amount of pills in a specific size bottle, which will last you a specific amount of time, assuming you're taking the medication as prescribed, right? And then what usually have to happen is if you need a refill, you have to, you know, some of you get an auto refill, right? But, you know, for things that are narcotics or that are more expensive, you have to call the doctor and get a refill prescription. Well, Dr. Ilario prescribed medications with the highest number of refills allowed by default. He would often, though, often, excuse me, also swap medications in the compound medication that were not equivalent to the original prescription. So remember I mentioned earlier, imagine you got a blue pill and a person can't take it because the blue dye. So his, his relationship with Central Rexall he would instruct Rexall to have a new compound created, but they weren't using equivalent. They were using lower quality or lower effective medication, which is really a problem because as a doctor, do no harm. You know, that's also got to be a massive, massive violation 
of uh, his medical duties. Um, and Dr. Olario did not return the prescription to the patient to be filled at any pharmacy. The prescription was immediately faxed to Central Rexall. Central Rexall. <laughs> and, and his confidant and apparently partner here, sales rep Ritson. So basically, the patients here were just a proxy for Alario and Ritson to continue, um, I was going to say banging, that's like a legal term when you kind of keep billing a file, to keep billing the, uh, the, the uh, insurance companies. So what did Dr. Alario get out of this? And this, this is, is where things I, get kind of strange. This was so weird to me. So I'll take the first one, then you take the next one. So yeah. sales rep Ritson would apparently he'd wine and dine Alario and his staff and their family, right, for meals and drinks. But how many meals and drinks could they really have gotten that really is enriching them, right? So we know that happened. We also know Ritson brought in meals to the medical offices. So by the way, it is not uncommon, I'm sure, and I'm, I, I know people that do this, who are, you know, medical device and drug company reps will take out a doctor for a meal and whatnot. And the doctor is like any other professional is supposed to disclose this. So that's not a conflict of interest. And I guess, depending on the value of the meal, they're supposed to disclose if it's a certain amount and whatnot. So I'm saying that's not crazy, right? Hey, I'm going to bring in this drug and I'll, I'll also bring in pizza for the office staff today. That's nice, right? Um, but there's more here. Keith, take us through the next couple of bullets because these are really interesting. Yeah. So we started with meals and... You're probably like, well, how many meals? All right. Well, there's a second category that I found payment. And that was Dr. Lario didn't drive himself. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm like, what the fuck is this? The Sopranos? Like, who doesn't drive themselves? But apparently he did not drive himself. So sales rep Ritson would drive him as round into his office in New York, New York. And I imagine at some point, like Ritson should have like Ubered or something, like just gotten like a really expensive ride service instead of driving around himself. Because you're going to see... If this is all the payment that Alario's getting, Alario kind of got Steinered in this case. It wasn't a whole Hard. lot. You're gonna see, you're gonna see what his friends made. And it was like I was amazed at the money. So one other form of payment that I also found in the court documents was that they would travel together. So they would go to other states. Like we said, his medical offices were in Florida and New York City. And Jersey. So that and Jersey. So that involves you know, car rides, flights, hotel stays, that kind of stuff. So that's going to involve money. But again, you got to say how much of that could they really send his way for him to make a bunch of money on it and him not become a Steiner. Well, at this well, point, well, I was going to say, I'm sorry, Keith is so we'll find out how much Ritson made, which is going to be eye opening. But like, why would Ritson, excuse me, why would Alario, what did Alario get out of this? Right. So far meals and a driver doesn't seem worth while for putting his entire career and patience at risk, right? I don't get it. Like, you know, how many free lunches are you getting that you feel like it's worth it to to get basically driven around and getting free meals? And I'm not sure if the, the court paperwork just didn't have payments that I missed or they didn't put in there or it's not public or what it is, but I'm 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 reading the story at this point and I'm like, okay, so this doctor screwing over his patients so far because none of these patients seem to be willing accomplices at this point you're gonna see we got some willing accomplices <laughs> coming up but there's no willing accomplices so you're thinking he's not i can't imagine he's maybe he's making more because of a prescription or something along those lines but you're gonna see as at this point 
of the way things go, this is where Alario starts getting, they start having patients that are in on the scheme with them. And I think it's a numbers game. And I think Alario starts to make more money when it becomes a numbers game. If I explain that coherently at all, but so we, we talked about Alario's hall. Why don't we talk about what Steiner's, fr- I mean, Alar- what uh, Alario's friends made Seth. So let's remember Ritson, Keith Ritson, He's our main sales rep who was loitering around the office of Dr. Alario and apparently was able to prescribe medication and sit it down. Apparently doing most of the work, too. Yeah. <laughs> Meeting um, with all the cl- all the patients and everything. <laughs> right. And Hickman is a gentleman who worked for a pharmaceutical and um, I guess was kind of helping broker the deal between uh, um, Ritson and the good doctor here at Central Rexall. So what do they get out of it? So between, well, let's put it this way. We know that on October 9th of 2015, Ritson pocketed over $73,000. Now, I'm assuming these are amounts of money that were consolidated over sub-periods of time, but I guess this is dates where he actually cashed in on them. So on the same day, he made another 90000 So that's $163,000 he made um, from obviously a short amount of time. Oh, it gets better. The next month, $200,000. The month after that, another $71,000. A month, the same month, so now we're in December of 15, uh, $181,000. And as we get into January of 2016, $400,000. And that's a flat number. The other ones are not. Uh, The next month in February of 2016, another $157,000. And then in March of 2016, Another $400,000. So some quick back of the napkin math. That's almost or over $1.5 million in, in, uh, from just these two. For driving a doctor around and meeting with his patients and sending them to a pharmacy that kicks back money to him. That's well, how much money clear, he pulled right? down. When you guys get in, you know, when you get a, a, a prescription filled, right, you know, assuming that you're on insurance, you know, the real amount of the of the drug is kind of some made up number that the drug companies get, and then they negotiate pricing with the with the insurance company. So I don't know, you know, if Hicks, if Ritson and Hickman were getting a cut of the full price, um, and then you know the insurance company was still only paying out. I, I don't know, but um, that's a lot of money to uh, uh, to basically rip off of you know a set of customers at a specific practice. But there were more conspirators, Keith. This wasn't happening yes. just with those three people, mostly two. So who else was involved? So this is where things get really hairy because they start having patients become involved with the scheme. So fake patients. Um, there, and there are, are other conspirators as well in the medical company sense. So there's a person named Brian Pugh. He owned a company called BP Med Number One, like the actual number one LLC. There's a Dr. John Gaffney. He was a co-conspirator. It sounds like he signed prescriptions like Dr. Alario did. There's a Judd Holt, who is another pharma rep. There's a Matthew Tedesco, another pharma rep, co-conspirator. And he owned Lakeside Medical. There's a Stephen Urbanski, a pharma rep and co-conspirator. There's a Richard Zapala, a pharma rep, co-conspirator. Also owned KLZ Health and Beauty, LLC. And now we have Michael Schur, a firefighter. 
and co-conspirator, and Michael Schur has two brothers. He also owned MBC Distributions, LLC. This group of people recruited patients for this scheme. So at this point, the best I can tell from the court documents, patients don't know that they're part of a scheme. Now, at this point, patients are in on it and getting a cut too. And they're firefighters. Yeah, so, yeah, the patients that were prescribed, these were patients, right, that were prescribed completely unnecessary drugs. So there was no, I guess, um, actual patient-doctor-patient relationship here where he was just funneling their prescriptions. This was actually patients who didn't really exist, technically, and were just basically getting prescriptions filled. And they would, of course, get a cut. Uh, so you have the brothers, sure. You have also John and Thomas, both firefighters, and they're both related to Michael. We had a gentleman, uh, another firefighter named Christopher Broccoli, uh, a Thomas Chalice, who's a police officer. So interesting that you have a large variety, large uh, group of police and firefighters involved in this. And apparently more public employees uh, involved as patients. And I guess they were paid too. But the crux yeah, of I, the uh, – okay, I'm sorry, Keith. I was going to say, I think they were chosen, if I recall correctly, and I don't know if I have this in the slide specifically – I think it was their plan. It was the like firefighter, police officer, public office. I don't know. I don't even know if public office is the right word, but maybe those uh, public servant type of jobs, they have their own type of health plans or like government plans and so sure. forth. It seemed, it seemed like they were targeting that plan for the best I could tell from the court documents. Yep. Yep. So they pushed it to the max. I mentioned earlier about these prescriptions being filled to the max. These were filled to the max of apparently 12 months, no matter the case. It was an automatic, you get 12 months of these drugs where, you know, that should raise an alarm to the insurance company. Like, does a person need to be taking this pill for a year? Uh, and when the insurance would stop covering the prescriptions, the conspirators would change medications that would also be accepted. Patients were never consulted with. So this was a scheme, like I said, to just continue pumping money uh, out of the insurance companies to fill prescriptions. This is the point where they can use the compounding of pharmacy as a weapon, because what they would do is let's say there's three ingredients in your medication, whatever those three are, right? You need these three things. And all of a sudden the insurance is like, we're not going to cover that trio of medication anymore. They would go, Oh, okay. Well, they would fiddle with the third one to make it slightly different. So that way the insurance would then be covering a new medication. It's not, quite the same for the patient but then they still get to run it through their scheme and get kickback out of it because the insurance is now paying for something that they stopped paying for previously and again all these patients are fake and i don't know that they actually took anything that was prescribed to them that, that wasn't clear in any of the documentation that i read so these fake patients may be just taking these you know fiddled with medications and just throwing them away because they're just making money off it on the open so market, the which is also illegal. So, yep. So the total damage here, Dr. Lario and sales rep Keith Ritson caused over $2.5 million worth of prescriptions to be sent to Central Rexall, which I'm not in the medical field and I don't do marketing in the medical field, but that seems like a big number to come out of one dude's doctor office. $2.5 million worth of prescriptions. So the larger set of conspirators, so remember we talked about there was 
a lot more people that had their hands in the pot. If you add up what they were involved with, they caused over $50 million worth of prescriptions and the conspirators pocketed over $26 million. So you got to imagine that was like, they made more than half of what they charged to prescription uh, back from the compounding pharmacy. And this all, all stems from the fact that the compounding pharmacy kicked back money. If they didn't, if they wouldn't have kicked back money, you know, none of this would have really, I think have happened because they were just all trying to make that money from the compounding pharmacy. Yep. So let's talk about when the hammer finally fell here. So early March of 2019, there were indictments for the Hickmans. Um, so that's the husband and wife couple uh, where the husband was kind of side jobbing it with uh, his wife's company. Um, and then the police officers and the firemen. So the Pew, Shallis, Schurz, and Broccoli team. So there was 50 counts. <laughs> the first count was on conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud and wire fraud. Counts 2 through 21 were on healthcare fraud. Counts 22 through 27 was on wire fraud. So that's the faxes and the emails probably to submit the prescriptions. Count 28 was conspiracy to commit money laundering. So that's Central Rexall. And then counts 29 through 50 was also more money laundering and then the actual transacting and criminal proceeds. So quite a, uh, a heavy-duty indictment there. Keith, tell us yeah, about and the that, indictments for our, our, our all-stars here. Yep. So that was that was the backup team. That was Hickman, Pugh, Shalisher, and Broccoli. So the indictment for Ritson and Alario, the, the two top people, that came out September 9th, 2020. So not real long ago compared to, what was it, 2015, we saw some them doing their crime. So they count one conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud and wire fraud count two through five was healthcare fraud. And it was from four different patients that they picked count six through nine was wire fraud. And they specifically said fax transmissions. God, could you imagine going to prison? What did you go to prison for? I sent a fucking fax, man. What, what year is it? Anyways, count 10 false statement relating to health healthcare matters. And I was like, what is that? So I started doing a little you know, reading into the court paperwork and apparently he signed a central Rexall form attesting that he met and talked with every patient he prescribed their meds to. So since he signed that and didn't, that became a criminal count. I think it was central Rexall trying to cover their ass. So he signed it and then that became a criminal count for the doctor later on. So count 11 is conspiracy to wrongfully obtain and disclose individually identifiable health information, which I think, bless you, sir. I think that falls under HIPAA. I think that would yep. be your count. Absolutely. Uh, count 12 is conspiracy to commit money laundering and counts 13 through 16 is actual money laundering transacting in criminal proceeds. And so then to- we got a change in the case in 2022. Why don't you tell us what happened? Yeah, so as of last summer, uh, uh, July of twenty, July twenty eighth of twenty two, Christopher Broccoli pled guilty. He pled guilty to a single count of conspiring to defraud a healthcare benefit program. Right? Don't forget, he was either a police officer or a firefighter. I don't remember which. He got the max sentence. He got ten years and financial penalties associated with it for the single count. Which is interesting because that's a heavy duty. That's actually 
I'll stop you. That's my notes. My notes are actually bad. He's facing a max sentence of 10 years in financial I penalties. Right, I apologize. <laughs> so we don't know what the has the has the has the um the sentencing happened. No, yet? so I was I was just gonna get to that once you were done with this. So basically we know that this guy pled guilty. And I actually checked right before we did this, and I couldn't find any status changes in the court documents. But this case was so juicy, I was like, I can't wait until he's sentenced. I'm like, this is so good. We just yeah, got to we'll, talk about it and we'll just update, update the sentence we'll, later. <laughs> we'll, up, we'll update the audience when we have actual sentencing information. So um, next, let's talk about Dr. Alario. So this one really, really threw me for a loop because similar to our other insider in a prior case who got $11,000 in gift cards, um, for ruining his life, Dr. Alario did plead guilty in October of last year. He pled guilty to a single charge, one count with conspiring to wrongly disclose individually identifiable health information. So that's kind of the whole idea of having, you know, Ritson sit around his office and access patient records and, you know, basically funnel patients directly to Ritson to prescribe medication through Central Rexall. What is interesting, though, is one count could have been one incident of it. This must have happened hundreds and hundreds of times, or at least dozens of times. But they gave him one count, and the max sentence here, we don't know what he actually ended up getting, is a year. My theory on this is they used Dr. Alario to roll over on everybody else. Because yeah, we don't know I agree what happened that. To, I think we so. We don't know what happened to Ritson yet, because that seems exceedingly light for what Dr. Alario's role was in this and the myriad examples of violations of healthcare fraud laws and, uh, and clearly, you know, health, um, indiv- individually identifiable health information, which ties to HIPAA. And so what I did right before we recorded this is I went and took a look at the, so I, I put these links in all our episodes if you're interested too, but I, I went to those court listener links that I usually put them in there, put in there. And, the statuses look the same and you know, they're still like they've pleaded guilty and I'm looking for sentencing and I'm not seeing it. So I'm seeing like um, status conferences and sentencing conferences and basically all this legal stuff that kind of leads up to sentencing. So what we're going to do is we're just going to keep an eye out for this one. And once we see what they're sentenced to, we'll just have an update on one of our other uh, podcasts. But yeah, this was a, Freaking amazing case. Yeah, and by the way, it was no, just we got all nothing over. On, we got nothing on Ritz. Nothing on Ritson. We don't know what yet. happened to that. Yet. yet, yet. Well, we we know it's in the court court process. He hasn't pled. He hasn't been convicted. He's basically he's well, getting his time in court right now. I'm sure they're pumping him for a ton of information to see who else might have been involved, or if he's part of a larger, you know, um, criminal uh, activity here or crime. But. That guy, I'm surprised. I mean, he might get a large, large sentence here. So we learned a lot here. Um, I'll start with the first one. The technology here, as Keith noted earlier, faxing and you know using paper-based um, uh, prescription, not very um, you know sexy, not very high tech, very primitive in comparison to other episodes. Except for the rebate kingpin, that should be noted as the old school, <laughs> um, you know, example of, of using uh, rudimentary technology to rip people off. Yeah, and I, maybe I should have made this our first conclusion, which is the doctor's facing less punishment compared to Christopher Broccoli, and both pled guilty too. So why we don't know, and stay tuned to future episodes because once we do figure it out, we'll we'll give you an update because 
a lot of times they might put they you can kind of read into things when they have like um uh, the plea agreements and so forth so why did alario do it though this is the big question for me why did alario do it i'm assuming he was already fairly financially stable right and clearly he wasn't pocketing anything of you know value about of other than meals and getting driven around so which is not nothing but you know certainly not worth throwing your career out of it wasn't like we can see oh, it was a hundred million dollars or ten million dollars funneled to him so we don't really know this is the big unless he had some other relationship or need to uh, uh, enrich Ritson we don't know maybe he didn't think this was problematic we don't know even what kind of doctor he was so uh, we do actually know he was an, an internist um, which is serious right it's not like you know um, he was a foot doctor which isn't diminishing defeat doctors i'm just saying i don't think it'd be very hard to kind of prescribe a medication to a foot doctor if it's a topical thing that could kill them an internist could so uh i am actually wondering what the the deal is here as to why did he do it um i'm wondering if he just since it was his practice and they had these fake patients coming in and they had so many fake patients coming in that he was just making money from their insurance just like if he was quote unquote meeting with them, whether he was physically meeting with them or not, he probably billed that he was meeting but with then them. That would have been part of the crime that he would have had to plead to or something like that. Right. Unless he rolled over on everybody. I'm, I'm not sure this is fully done yet. This case, um, this, oh, is yeah, I, I, I would definitely say it's, it's definitely not full, fully done. It's just, it's, it took a very crazy chain turn at the end though, with like yeah. what they allowed him to, to plead guilty to. Yes. Agreed. So this went on for a couple of years plus and netted millions of dollars. How are there not any checks and balances like on this? Like, you know, especially if the compounding pharmacies are not FDA approved, there's got to be some state agencies that are looking into those. You know, how do they know they're not just selling people cocaine? I mean, you know, it's 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 interesting to um, to understand that, you know, these people had exploited a clear gap uh, or vulnerability in the system here. Um, Keith, why don't you take, uh, the last two? Cause they're fantastic. Yeah. I was a little surprised and slash disappointed to see that police officers and firefighters were involved. Um, especially the police officers, because it sounded like that group, the firefighter police officer group knew that they were fake patients. You know, I, I wouldn't have felt so bad. Like if they were, if they were just the patients, like the other ones that were like, they were caught up and they were just victims. All right. But these, the officers and the police, I'm sorry, the officers and the firefighters, they not only were fake patients, but then they went and tried to find even more fake patients for the doctors. You know, once you have one firefighter, you had them go get, you know, the brothers and then the brothers went and got their friends and so forth. And, you know, the, the most important thing out of this whole episode is I finally figured out there was a professional libido cream, Seth, and we can finally, finally stop getting our libido cream from the local gas station where do you apply the libido cream does it go like on your back right on your junk where does it go uh i don't know probably depends on what part of your body you use seth <laughs> fair enough we'll, uh, we'll we'll research that and come back to the audience on that um god in your browser cache maybe not mine <laughs> i'll use my right. computer for that all right how to reach us talk to me keith all right, so if you want to go to one place and get everything, just go to our website. It's ecrimebites, E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y as in yellow milk, T-E-S dot com. And again, yellow milk, 
That was a rebate kingpin. You got to go back and listen to that episode. Now, yes. in that website, across the top, if you're on a web browser, on your desktop, you're going to see all our social media, YouTube, all that great stuff. Have fun. Click in there. Definitely hit the glossary. I've been updating it lately. Sign up for our newsletter. Um, I've been sending out our first newsletter, and we've got some people signed up, so you're going to see more of that. And if you're on a phone, it might look slightly different. You're going to have like three lines or what us nerds call the hamburger. Just click on that and you're going to see a drop down menu and you're going to have all that stuff that I said was across the top before. It's just under kind of a button for you. So please, if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. If you're on Spotify or Podbean or whatever you listen to us on, thumbs up. We totally appreciate it. And with that, did you have anything else to say before I take us out, Seth? No, I'm just looking forward to the um, the uh, conclusion of this one and giving a little more uh, flavor. Um, maybe there'll be a Daily Beast article about it. <laughs> Definitely. All right. With that, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, all. Thanks, all.